See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize this is play. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I'm joined again by Tom from Breath Performance Physio to chat all about what is commonly known as plantar fasciitis. So what it is, why it happens and what you can do about it based on the current research as well as our experience with our physiotherapy clients. So this is the first of many episodes that we'll be doing on the common conditions that we see or that we get asked about with the aim of building awareness and understanding and providing as many actionable steps as possible. If you're struggling with any of these conditions or finding it tough to make progress on your rehab journey, please do feel free to reach out as we can either help you directly with our online consultations or if we're not the right people to help, we can point you in the right direction of other practitioners or resources that can. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC Soulmate, your ultimate all-in-one restoration and exploration tool. Made from cork, TFC Soulmates are an eco-friendly, lightweight and durable mobility balance and foot training tool. This nifty piece of kit can be used as a massage roller for releasing tight muscles, a mini foot roller for the best darn foot rub you can imagine, a balance beam for endless play and even a slant board for incline and decline training. It also includes two toe resistance bands to help get those stiff tootsies stretching. Every TFC Soulmate comes with an in-depth online training system designed by TFC health professionals with more than 50 exercises and a fully structured program to ensure you get the most out of it. The Soulmate Training System 2.0 has just launched with a heap of new ways for you to move and play. Your Soulmate really is the perfect companion to mobilize your toes, feet and ankles, strengthen your lower body, improve balance, posture and alignment, and prevent and rehab common foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, bunions, ankle sprains, Achilles tendonitis, and so much more. Every order also helps Reforest Australia by planting one tree. To celebrate the relaunch of our podcast, we are now offering free shipping Australia-wide for all Soulmate and Soulmate kits. To learn more, head to tfc-shopaus.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. All right, Tommy W. We're back. We're back. So, we uh, we wanted to do. We're going to start doing some deeper dives into common conditions that we get asked about as physios that people email us about to um, just explore some or break them down and then just explore some actionable strategies on how to resolve them because they can be very frustrating and persistent conditions, uh, especially in the feet. And there's good reasons for that, but we want to try and simplify it, um, give enough information. You could go very, very deep into each of these conditions that we're going to do. Um, But we want to give basically an overview of what we think is important to know. And yeah, especially to make things actionable for those of you listening. Um, So for today, we'll be exploring plantar fasciitis. (laughs) By far the most common thing we get asked about. Um, it's one of the most common foot pain conditions. It's certainly the most common cause of, of plantar heel pain, which we'll explain. Um, but yeah, the idea for or the plan for this podcast, this episode is to explain what it really is 
and like we said, the different ways of treating it and also to, for us, we want to focus on more of these sort of actionable things that you can do. So we know that if, if you actually, if you haven't listened back to the principles of rehab podcast that we did, that's a good place to start before you delve into any of these um, sort of specific conditions. But if you haven't listened to that, or just as a recap as well, pain, any kind of experience of pain is always going to be multifactorial. Uh, but in general, there is some kind of imbalance between the demand you're placing on your body and the capacity it has to tolerate that demand or that load. And, or it could also be exceeding your ability to recover from that demand. So all of that is intertwined, but something to keep in mind when it comes to any condition and any rehab process is that there's always going to be options of passive therapies or active therapies. So passive, as a general rule, passive therapies are done to you to improve your pain or your symptoms. And that could be things like orthotics or medications or surgery or manual therapy. And active therapies are done by you to improve your capacity or your recovery. So obvious examples would be things like exercise, sleep or nutrition. Which we're hopefully going to touch on most of those. Yes. Give people a really good breakdown on like which ones you should be looking at doing and which ones are going to have the best long-term outcomes as well as short-term outcomes. 100%. And we won't delve too much into sort of sleep and nutrition. We actually have episodes on sleep. Mm. Uh, Tom and I recorded an episode on sleep in one of the previous seasons. So you can go back and listen to that. And we've got plenty of resources listed in that episode as well that you can check out. Um, I also have done a episode on an episode on nutrition with one of our foot nerds who's um, very deep in that world. And you can listen to that. But on the whole, it's just important to remember that whatever you do exercise wise or training wise or rehab wise or passive therapy wise, your ability to recover and I guess the, just the overall health of your body will matter a lot for your overall recovery journey. Yeah, I think we really delved a little bit deeper on like that multifactorial, multifaceted approach in that last podcast. And I think I think that if you just go back there, have a bit of a listen. If you have any more questions on it, yeah, feel free to reach out. But I think that one really covered sleep, hygiene, like nutrition, yeah. rest, like all of those sorts of things that go with foot health and particularly yeah. for what we're about to talk about. Yeah, so it all matters. And obviously for today, we'll be focusing mostly on, um, I guess, the specific area and the problem and more of a, a, an exercise-based approach because that's our... Bread and butter. Bread and butter. That's what we do. We're physios. We're not nutritionists. Mm. But just just important to recognize that those things are all, will also play a role in mm. your recovery. So, plantar fasciitis. Or fasciopathy. Huh? That's the first talking point. <laughs> it is, mm. yes. So, it's an important one um, because the name has changed. Uh, and this is the same thing that's happened with a lot of tendon issues where, you know, Itis, well, plantar fasciitis, if we break that down, plantar is the bottom of your foot or the sole of your foot. Fascia is a connective tissue that exists throughout the whole body. It basically is beneath the skin, above the muscles, and wraps around all your muscles and organs and wraps around the, the nerves. It's, it's literally it, across everything. It's the thing that holds your body essentially together. Yeah. So that's fascia. And then itis generally is a, a suffix or 
put at the end of a word to indicate inflammation. So, what's another itis? Um, oh, colitis. Rhinitis. Rhinitis. Re- rhinitis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a, there are a lot of them. And like, I think it's really good to point out, like there are a lot of things particularly, you know, historically have been put as the itises because it was what we understood them to be. Mm. And then across time, a lot of the tendonitises, whether that's for your elbow, your knee, a lot of that has shifted because it's not necessarily always an itis per se, as, as much as what you talked about before. It's there's a, a change in the load or capacity to take on a load in a tendon. And that's not always coming out as inflammation. Mm. It just might be that that tendon is unable to do the task that you're asking it to do. And it's giving you a pain experience, which yeah. is different from a pure sort of itis. Yeah, exactly. And so it's interesting because plantar fasciitis does tend to follow a bit of like an inflammatory pattern, which is where... It's usually worse in the morning when you wake up, you get a classic, um, I guess, story would be someone, oh, I wake up in the morning, I get out of bed and I have this really sharp stabbing heel pain. Um, yeah, so pain in the um, in my heel, just towards the sort of... The middle part of the, the middle, middle, part of the yeah, heel, yeah. middle and like more towards the arch than the outside of your foot. But yeah. again, really just in front of the heel on the underside of your foot. Yeah, and then it warms up with activity. That's the classic inflammatory pattern where... And I guess that can be why people originally was like, oh, it's plantar fasciitis. But in the research, they've found that there is an interesting lack of inflammatory markers in the area. And so they have sort of changed the name to fasciopathy, Mm. which... It's more encompassing. Like yeah. that's that's really one of the, the, the problems we have within the scope of physiotherapy and exercise physiology is the landscape constantly evolves with the language that we use. And this is just one of those examples that we still use the word fasciitis and sometimes incorrectly, I would imagine, but it, it's a common ground for people who aren't in our world who haven't had to read the research that we've had to. So, you know, we might interchangeably use them. It's not technically correct, but it's a good way to communicate what's going on with someone's yeah. foot. Because most people, they, most people know, oh yeah, I've got plantar fasciitis or they've heard of plantar fasciitis. But if you say fasciopathy and they're like, oh, well, it's well, a fancy word. that sounds different. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but opathy really just means uh, like pathology is mm-hmm. like a, as an issue with that area. Yeah. So, and it's the same thing as a tendinopathy now is it's just it's changes in the tendon, whether it's degenerative Um, but some kind of change in that area that isn't necessarily inflammation, but like Tom said, is affecting how that area can handle load. Yeah. And like those changes, uh, there's a lot, there's change in tendon structure, potentially there's changes in ways that blood vessels like arteries or nervous tissue, like nerves sort of invaginate or get into the tendons. And I think that's why it's really hard to fully understand from a physical aspect, because again, what you touched on earlier with pain the experience that you're having with a plantar fasciitis isn't just coming necessarily from the foot. It's all the other things that are happening that it's stopping you from doing. It's the experiences that it's causing you can either improve or worsen the the pain experience. So again, it's important to know that there are different ways of looking at it and wording it. But again, we are trying to essentially figure out the best way for you to manage what you're going through from more of the physical aspect whilst taking into account all of the pain experience and the other stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit semantic, but it does actually matter because say you think, well, itis or, you know, someone's told you it's inflammation, then you're like, well, I should take some anti-inflammatories or I should, you know, do use ice is a really common and also old school way of, doing <laughs> old school way of managing inflammation. 
Um, but if the issue isn't actually with inflammation, then that's not really going to do anything uh, in the long run, except for maybe some level of short-term pain relief mm. from the actual, you know, numbing the symptoms, of the ice yeah. or the, or the um, even a placebo effect of actually taking a pill. But it's not going to do anything to improve the, the structure or the function mm. of the the actual plantar fascia. No. And I think with that there becomes like the, the first and most important question to ask is why do people get it? What causes it? Yeah. Well, I think actually even before we get into that is just to talk quickly about the role of the plantar fascia. So it, it is a, a layer. It, like we said, it's connective tissue. Fascia is a connective tissue wraps around the muscles. Um, and it, the plantar fascia actually helps the foot go from a mobile adapter to a rigid lever. So when you're walking, your foot will strike the ground, walking or running, um, and the foot will change shape to adapt to the ground. And then as you go to push off from that foot, then it needs to turn into a rigid lever so that you actually can push off it powerfully and, and use you know the rest of your muscles and everything to actually push off that lever. If it stayed completely mobile, then you wouldn't be able to push off it powerfully. And if it was always rigid, then you, you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to absorb force yeah. appropriately and you'd be walking around stiff-legged. Yeah. So you need your foot needs to be able to go between both and the plantar fascia is a big part of what of how that works. Uh, it's something called the windlass mechanism, um, which we don't have to go too deep into now. Um, but the fascia is rich in sensory nerves, like we said. It does have blood supply. Um, it requires good blood flow to stay healthy. So in a, Inactivity in the area, in the muscles and in the fascia will over time, for want of a better word, degrade the structures. And that's it's the same goes for any part of your body um, from your muscles, joints, nerves, ligaments, tendons. Everything needs load and movement in order to be healthy in the long run. So plantar fasciitis is often seen as like an overuse condition of the plantar fascia. And really overuse... It just refers to that load and capacity imbalance. So the demand, the, the demand you're placing on the body is too much for the capacity so, uh, or your ability to recover. So your capacity depends on how much you've moved and loaded throughout your life. Mm. And the interesting part of this is, and probably one of the reasons it may occur, is like when you have uh, your feet that are a bit weaker, those muscles and the muscle tendons, of the, they're not strong enough to take on the load the load has to go somewhere every time you're walking or running or doing something. And because you all, your plantar fascia is always there, it is essentially a passive connective tissue structure. It'll always take on load. And if you don't have the strength in those other spots, to your point, it, it gets overused because the other things aren't doing their job. It's not distributing the load as effectively as the foot could. And we'll touch in as to why that happens. But it is easy to see why historically, again, it would have been called an overuse injury. Yeah, exactly. And so overuse, a, a very classic example would be someone who decides they want to start getting fit. And so they start going out and running. They maybe haven't done any running for a long time um, or never have really been a runner, but they're like, yeah, really, they're inspired to run. They've seen some videos and like, yep, sweet, I'm going to get out and run. Um, so they start doing a lot of running and it's like, oh yeah, you've overused your foot but really it was overused because you, ha you hadn't done very much with your foot at all mm. previously. Your body wasn't ready to take on what you tried to ask it to do. Yeah. And 
very likely as well, you got excited, you started running every day and you, that's not actually giving your body enough time to recover between those bouts of load. And so the, t- the fascia gets irritated and in, in a broader sense, then your nervous system is giving you signals that it, it doesn't feel safe. That's, I guess, the reason the, the pain is there, the actual pain is because your, your brain or your nervous system or your body is just saying, this is going to be a problem if we keep doing this. So the pain is the signal to stop. <laughs> and again, like pain is often a very good signal, right? It, it's there for protection. It's there for survival. And your body doesn't want to just tell you, oh, I'm sore. It's, it's telling you that for some reason, whether we can understand it or conceptualize it is a different story. Yeah. So the, in, in some sense, you can be really grateful that the plantar fascia pain or that the pain is there because if you kept doing that load and your body knows that it can't handle that load, then something's going to properly break down. So you might get a tear in that area. Um, you'll have a, a more significant structural breakdown that would be, you know, very disastrous. <laughs> and you don't want that. No. So that's why you don't, you don't want to ignore those signals and you want to use those as feedback of, okay, well, there's some kind of issue here whether it's in the foot, whether it's in other areas that are sort of contributing to it um, and usually a bit of both. And what can I do about that? Mm. Did we want to talk about the degenerative, the actual, it, it can get a little bit deep into the weeds, but it's probably I think worth... that part might come well when we get to the, the actionable tools because it'll give people sure. a better understanding as to why we choose some of the exercises that we do. And then we, we will break it down there, I think. Yeah. So... It's good to, I guess it's good to be aware that plantar fasciitis does typically happen in physically active people. And so a great example or an obvious example is runners. And that's what we've just used. Uh, But also people who who are standing a lot for their work. So people are standing all day, every day. Um, And you have to think about that quite logically. Like a lot of people who are standing all day, if you think about where they are throughout their childhood, sort of in school, eight to 10 hours a day. You do that for how many years? Like 18 years. Sitting. A lot, yeah, a lot yeah. of sitting. And then and eventually you're like, all right, I'm from the sitting. I'm going to go stand for eight to 12 hours a day. One one bout of that's not a problem, but that, that builds up across time. And then you factor in the environment so that whether that's the shoes or the actual work environment, constant hard, flat ground or whatever it is. It makes a lot of sense that people who have standing jobs like that have some form of increased load and therefore overload in the foot in the area of like the plantar fascia. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so comes back to that concept of running, you know, running isn't really the issue. Being active isn't the issue. Even being on your feet for long hours isn't the main issue. It's more down to what your feet are ready for and what your body is ready for. Um, But there's also some other risk factors. So uh, you've got them listed here. Yeah, so these, these are some other risk factors that we found that I think they're worth noting um, for people to understand that it's not a genetic thing per se, but some of the postural stuff that we, we do or the way that we move does load into the plantar fascia. So for example, if you are someone who has like a, a bow-legged posture and then you have like a very high arch, the way that that 
loads into your foot will often cause more load into the plantar fascia. But again, that's not a problem. If you've learned to tolerate that load well and you've got other movement options, so your foot is more mobile when it needs to, more rigid when it has to be, then it's not often a problem. But again, the research for that can vary and, and you're going to find differences across people. So I wouldn't take that as a, oh, I've got both legs, I'm going to have plantar fascia. It's just, it could be a factor in. And then one of the interesting ones I found was the spiked athletic shoes. And it's often like they're very tight. They're very, they're very narrow and the people who are wearing them are running on a track, which is, I don't know if you've run on a track before, but it's hard. It's very hard and running on it barefoot kind of hurts. Like if you're not yeah. used to it at all, like yeah. it's a very firm surface. Mm. Be like mm. running with like cleats on concrete, I imagine. Yeah. And that, I can't imagine that would be fun. And I think in the, it's important to think about the context. So for all of that, for the running, mm. for the spike shoes, for the long standing, most people are used to being in shoes and the narrative around shoes is that the more supportive the better generally Mm. (laughs) and so and any kind of issue that comes up with the foot it's like the answer is oh well let's support it more with either you know arch control shoes or orthotics or whatever so the more support your foot gets and the more support your i guess your plantar fascia gets in that sense the less it has to do actively and therefore the less capacity it has Mm. and i think the when you when you go from that and like trying to understand like one of the biggest risk factors or like one of the biggest causes for the people having plantar fascia is the load it's the volume so whether that's volume of standing volume of your training the intensity of training like you're essentially how many days you practice exercise or how long you're standing for will factor into where you put load and if you don't have the ability to, to handle that load that comes back to just the big you know shoes that teach your feet to be a bit weaker or just changing occupation from being school desk bound to being standing hard surface bound all day. Again, I think that is probably the biggest factor. And I think the interesting one, we're reading up on it, and I'm sure like you, you hear a lot BMI or people who are bigger or like you know have more weight as a risk factor. And it's a very interesting topic mm-hmm. like that you have to address sort of carefully, obviously, because there's a lot of factors that go into it. But it's not at this current point deemed a specific risk factor but if you're someone who say gained a bit of weight pretty quickly across a period of time it's just extra load that is going to go into that foot particularly into your plantar fascia and if you're someone who's unfortunately having a bit of an unhealthier moment and you're not feeling well you're not exercising and all of the other psychosomatic stuff isn't going well that may lead to having like a greater pain experience and more likely to have plantar fascia Mm. but again it doesn't mean that you're going to it just these are factors in what is a very complex story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So no, none of these individual risk factors are the cause. It's just like it may increase your risk. Mm. Um, and some other things are just decreased flexibility in general through your ankles and through your hamstrings and um, your hips. So your hip and ankle function is heavily tied to how your foot functions and it's hard to visualize through talking through audio well, I, suppose, but, I suppose a good way to try and explain it right is if you imagine your leg just a leg right and then if we made it simple you have a foot an ankle you have a calf a knee a quad and a glute it's obviously not everything in there and a hamstring each of those components is going to take on some form of load when you step run or jump on that leg i think everyone can kind of conceptualize that yeah if other parts aren't doing as much as they could, so let's say your ankle mobility is reduced, rather than it taking on its 10 to 15% of 
the load from that movement, that's going to have to get shifted somewhere else just because it's not able to do it. Because if I say to you, jump, you're going to jump. You might not jump like I jump or like how you jump, but you're going to jump and you're going to have to find your own way of dealing with that force. For some people with those uh, sort of reduced flexibility, reduced range of motion control and et cetera, et cetera, it just might mean that you're loading into the plantar fascia to tolerate the load. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said before, movement is not a problem. Running is not the problem. Standing is not a problem. But how you're currently taking on that load and then that pain experience it is more of an issue there than it is the actual activity. Yes, exactly. And so it's a, it's a good thing to remember that your body compensates very well it's amazing if you're stiff somewhere say you've been wearing heeled shoes for a long time and your ankles and calves get tight and stiff then and you you want to play basketball or you want to play any kind of sport or you want to do your running or whatever you you like to do you're gonna your body's gonna figure out how to do that movement and it's gonna alter the load even though so the job will get done but it's not as efficient as it could be Um, And it's more likely, as you said, to overload those structures. And so, you know, there's one aspect of overloading or overusing, which is just doing too much too soon. Mm. And the other aspect is doing a certain activity in a way that is inefficient and therefore applying load to different areas of the body that I guess aren't. For want of a better way to explain it, they're not built to tolerate that much across time and i think across time like it it is you can get away with it maybe that's not the best way of putting it but you can do an activity once and it might not actually cause you much of a problem and so you don't really associate the activity with a physical stressor that is causing say your plantar fascia to get tired but you repeat the activity again and again and then eventually it comes on again the activity itself is not the only factor in it as we've just explained but it, it is a factor in that we have to Uh, look at and if you're having all these other decreased mobilities and decreased strengths in certain spots they're things that i I look at more positively it's like you have this problem but it's maybe because of these four five six seven eight other things too like maybe let's let's try and find your entry point which leads into like ways to help treat it and it it just it's just a signal Mm. and at the end of the day that something's not quite right we've got to try and address it yeah. So it does come down to your individual context and your history. And, you know, the the key factor for someone else might not be the key factor for you. Um, you might have really flexible ankles and, but your, you know, your hips are not functioning well and or vice versa or, or whatever. Um, and it might be that you did, you know, everything's functioning sort of how it should, but you did just go way too hard too soon. Um, so it depends on, you, like I said, your individual situation, um, but it, knowing all of those potential risk factors is a good place to start to to start problem solving and start figuring. And I think it that's out. the cool part when you start feeling like you're trying to solve the problem. It gives you back that sense of control. Mm. Like you're like, okay, I tried this, didn't work. I tried this, it didn't work. And as long as you know you got a good support network and system around, it becomes more of an adventure and exploration of your own body than it is like, a, oh my god, I've got pain. Exactly. So brings us to treatment figuring it out problem solving this issue so many fun parts to this yes and overall a good approach i think we i heard this from greg Lehman. the initial thing he he's uses the phrase calm i think he says shit but calm (laughs) we'll just say calm stuff down and build stuff back up very good way to think about things it's so simple and yet it applies to pretty much every rehab process 
because if you're in so much pain, say, say you have your plantar fasciitis and you're in so much pain that you can't even do exercises that are given to you. You can't even do a basic, you know, low load exercise. Um, or actually for one, a bit of a, a better example is you can't even get through your day. You're like yeah. you're absolutely debilitated. You're limping around. Um, your life sucks and it's affecting, you know, so many different aspects of your physical and mental health. Then it's going to be a lot harder to have the energy and the motivation. And if you're in a lot of pain to then go and do the, th- the exercise or the, the, um, the active therapies that you need to do to solve it in the long term. Yeah. So you may need to calm it down first and then build it back up. Mm. So that would take us to these these sort of well, the, short-term, yeah, medium-term, yeah. long-term approaches. And again, like there's no, you must complete short-term to hit medium-term, then mm. hit long-term. They're, they are so intertwined. It's just when you look at the research and the way it's written down, it's essentially uh, we're looking at if you you come to a, a practice and you've got this pain, there are certain strategies that may be more useful than others in that short-term, like you just said, that might actually help you feel a little bit better during your day, which then gives you a little bit more energy and a little bit more like hope, I suppose, to then do the next thing, which in the long run is better than, you know, just, you know, taping your foot or getting it needled or whatever. But you might need an entry point somewhere. Yeah. So often a good place to start is just the education, which understanding is understanding it. What you're receiving some of now. Yeah. And again, this is like we said, it's an overview and it's the way we're sort of understanding it at the moment. Things may change as more research comes out and as we learn more, but at least a general understanding of what the plantar fascia is, what it does, and what what factors could be contributing to it is a good place to start with Great. educating yourself. I think it's the best place you can start. <laughs> and then from there is, well, trying to minimize or uh, influence the factors that you can control those risk factors. So say one, one factor is just running way too much too soon. Mm. Then you go, okay, well, I love running, but... Obviously, it's, that's contributing to my heel pain. So I'm going to minimize or change the amount of running at least, if not stop running for a short term, in the short term to allow, like we said, the symptoms to calm down so that you can then build back up to running. And this probably touches on like the, the long-term stuff, but I think it's a really good point to, to mention like to runners or to practitioners treating runners, very hard for them to want to stop running, right? Yeah. And I think one of the key pieces it comes to is back to the education side is you can give someone certain drills or certain exercises or movements that mimic things in running or that they can see the benefit of to get back to their activity. It might be as simple as I'm going to try and do an isometric calf raise just because I need you to have a stiffer Achilles tendon. If I tell you that's going to help you bound better for running as a runner, you're more likely to do it. And I mm-hmm. think matching what you're trying to help someone with, whether it's the massaging, kneeling, exercising, movement-based stuff, put it back to their, their activity that is something that they want to do or something that is going to help stop causing the pain, like walking around or standing all day at work. Yeah. Link that back as best you can straight away. Yes. And another thing is to just clarify that, yeah, it's a short-term approach is minimizing or stopping your activity. It's never a long-term solution. If you go to a practitioner, often the classic example is doctors or GPs who get a, you know, a 50-year-old come in, they got plantar fasciitis or whatever injury, and they're like, oh, yeah, you just got to stop running. And it's like, maybe they meant... <laughs> 
stop running for now. But often people take it as, oh yeah, I can't run anymore because I've got this thing. So it's, it's always a short-term approach. Um, and there are always other things that you can do, like Tom said, while you're rehabilitating that will affect or improve your running. Yeah, when we get back. Yeah. Um, a common thing that gets done as well is to actually change the the footwear or the um, like the support of the foot while you're doing your activity. So again, common example is someone gets given an orthotic to put in their shoe while they're running and that actually changes the load and it because it changes the position of the foot and the arch and all of these things, then for some people that can be a, a key for them to run pain-free. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that that's a long-term solution. And it doesn't mean that it's going to help your plantar fascia. I yeah. think that's the key point there too. Yeah, so that's a, that's a modification of symptoms. And maybe where that would be appropriate is if you're you know, an elite athlete, you have to get your training in before this race and you, you don't mind that it's a short-term solution. Or even, yeah. Even if you're someone who's just like your weekend warrior who likes yeah. running, like it's... There is nothing wrong with some symptom modification mm. stuff. If it helps you do something, again, whether that's something you love and that might be affecting your mental health or your ability to sleep or your social interactions, like that's okay. We're not against it. And I think it's good to acknowledge that. But if you don't do something else with it, then that problem isn't going to get any better and it's probably more likely to get worse in the long term and cause yeah. a bigger problem. Yeah, and it comes back to what we were saying before. If you externally support the foot and the arch and the fascia to and and change those symptoms then all you're getting is a change you're getting a change in the symptoms you are getting a change in the function but the that change in the function is being done externally and so your capacity actually decreases over time so you you need to have an exit plan of okay well what am i doing so that i'm not relying on these external supports in the future yeah and i think like so take it from external support and think what are some other things that commonly get done dry needling acupuncture like myotherapy like myofascial trigger mm, points that mm. sort of stuff or even like shockwave therapy for you know the plantar under the foot now like all of that sort of goes into a body of symptom modification can it, it affects people differently based on their certain beliefs the, the way the practitioners do stuff the way that they sort of explain and educate their client how this may help them and you find that that varies wildly across different parts of research. And it's a very, all, all those things are hotly debated topics on utility and stuff. But again, I think we're sort of both of the approach. Like if it's going to help in the short term and it's, you know, you then are doing other stuff as well. There's no reason why that might not be a good option. Hmm. Yeah. It's all down to what you're comfortable with and what your budget is mm. and, and all of this. But it's just the key is that you know that, an injection or a dry needle or an orthotic or any, any of those therapies that are done to you are not a long-term solution to the issue of that you're experiencing. Yeah. It's their way to, like Tom said, modify symptoms. And we think modify symptoms so that you can get better mm. rehabilitation and the more of the active approach. Yeah. I think the, the final two pieces like that cortico steroid injection that I've had some clients have, from a personal standpoint, I wouldn't recommend that to a lot of people. It seems to, again, from the research, disrupt the, the, the fascia or tendon, depending on where it's put, more than it does any actual help in the long term. It helps pain short term, for sure, but it often worsens things directly after. Mm. And I don't often see that being very beneficial because it's a cover-up, it's a band-aid. Yeah. And then, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone with a night splint. 
I haven't either. No. Uh, my understanding of them is that because you're when you're sleeping, then your ankle sort of rests in more of a plantar flex position, and then when you first get up out of bed, you go into dorsiflexion. When you stand up and start walking, and that's what triggers like that's a big part of that sensitivity. So you put a night splint in, so you're in less plantar. So plantar flexion is where you're. At, um, toes are pointing down i suppose mm. dorsiflexion is where your toes are pointing up towards your shin um so again i think it's one of those things that if your heel pain is so disaster like catastrophically bad in the morning and you want to try something to change that um that could be an option mm. but there are depending on the severity of your of your heel pain then there are other things that you can do to yourself to modify the symptoms as well so a classic example is um, just rolling the bottom of your foot out. Mm. So that's, n- that's not something that is going to change the load capacity of your plantar fascia, but it can change the symptoms pretty impressively, actually. And we often go to that as a, as a good place of someone starting to learn to tolerate like load in some sense, like and load, by, by load, I mean pressure, essentially under the foot. Um, often mm. with a lot of clients in clinic, you know, I'll, I'll show them like we've got, you know, TFC cork balls or like, you know, you got your yellow cross trigger balls and stuff. And after years of training on it, I can stand on that single leg now if I don't fall off balance wise, but it doesn't hurt my foot. And But a lot of clients can't tolerate even just putting a little bit of weight on there. And often that is due to so many other factors, but their foot doesn't have that tolerance of pressure. And if your foot can't tolerate the pressure, it's often going to be harder for you to tolerate the load that you're trying to, you know, hopefully get to, particularly if you're a runner. Yeah. So yeah, technically it is all loads. It's like external load from the ground. How much, how resilient is your foot to that external load or that ground reaction force? Is that what it's called? Um, Versus internally generated load from your muscles and and tendons. Yeah. Um, So... The only thing we didn't touch on there is like taping, which can also be yeah. know, useful again as a symptom modificator, like a low die taping or like taping up around the heel. There's again, lots of different options out there for the taping and have seen some success with it. But again, it just goes under that body of symptom modification. So you can do something that's going to help you in the long term. Yeah. Now from the long, so, and then what's going to help you most in the <laughs> long term is movement. a graded exercise or movement based approach. And this is where it can get very deep because like we said, your feet are connected to your ankles, which are connected to your knees, hips, and therefore your trunk and all the way up to your breathing. And then your head because your head controls where your body goes. Like it's a never ending interconnected system. So as a general rule, you want to try and optimize the function of all of these parts. And that's where it can help to because that can be quite overwhelming to have an assessment from a practitioner to figure out which areas are likely going to be the the biggest contributing areas so that you can work on those first. Bang for buck. Like you you want to find the thing that's going to, and this happens a lot, the the exercise or movement or area of the body that you've got to target that gives you the, the most change in your symptoms quickly so you can feel the physical change and therefore you're going to be bought into doing the thing first. Mm. Like if I say to you, I need you to stretch your big toe with some active sort of contract, contract stuff, but that keeps hurting the plantar fascia, you're not going to do it because we don't change best by feeling bad and in pain. We, want, yeah. we like feeling good and feeling successful. Yeah. Whereas if you say you do some ankle mobility work and you walk and you're like, oh, that 
that ankle mobility work really helped or maybe some calf tissue work or a calf stretch or something that improves your ankle mobility and then you go oh that actually definitely helped my pain so then it's like cool oh i really i can see how this is going to help long term yeah so there's a lot of again a lot of different factors you you may benefit greatly from a practitioner looking at how you're moving and seeing where to start um but you don't have a practitioner or even regardless, good places to start are actually just improving the coordination of your foot through balance training. Um, standing on one leg, that is actually a great way to, it's, well, yeah, depends on, again, depends how irritable your plantar fascia is. It may not be standing on one leg at first, but keeping the load quite low and just literally contracting all the muscles in your feet because those the muscles in the fascia are active even when you're just standing still and especially when you're balancing on one leg. And if your issue is with walking or running, then that involves balancing on one leg. So the more control and balance you have on one leg, generally the better the better able your feet will be to tolerate that load. Yeah. And I think when you, when you look at, say, sort of, again, that, that stretching mechanism, like you go into dorsiflexion, then you go into pushing off your foot, which is going to like wind up that windlass mechanism, which is essentially just tensioning all the tissue on the underside of your foot, which causes some form of pain often. I think this is coming back to what we said before, this sort of getting into the weeds part. If you understand that your plantar fascia are made up of connective tissue, so it's not muscle, so it doesn't really have a contractile component. It's, it's made up of what we call collagen. So it's just a type of fiber that's in there. It's very strong. It has tensile strength, so it's, it's very strong going forward and, and backwards, essentially. It's not as good as going side to side, particularly, again, your plantar fascia. We need to make sure that in the first instance, you want to try and restore the ability, whether it's your big toe, whether it's into your ankle, whether it's your knee or hip, going forward, because we want to start to share the load away from that plantar fascia onto those other structures. Because just by doing that, again, whether it's from balancing, trigger pointing, getting the toe moving, whatever that will probably start to modify your symptoms simply because you're starting to distribute load differently. Mm-hmm. The same as wearing an orthosis into a shoe can change the way you're feeling with your running. It's the same concept. Yeah. How deep you go into what strategy is very personal. It's very dependent upon what, again, time, money, whatever the person can do, what system of uh, movement you believe in works for people, etc. That is very deep. But I think understanding that that forward stuff is very important to improve the distributing of load is going to be beneficial in the short and then long term. Yeah. So as a general as a general rule, the the functions of your foot and and the the fascia is to one maintain balance and coordination of the foot, support the arch, two absorb force from the ground, and three turn like turn the foot become a rigid lever so that you can push off and so that's what tom's talking about there with the toes going into extension activating the windless mechanism that's that tensile load going through the fascia um and then that is eventually where you need to get at first that may feel very irritable and so if you start with like very low load things even actually just without putting any weight on your foot just sitting down um, and opening up your toes as far as you can and then squeezing them as far as you can. And just, um, if you look at babies, they'll do this a lot and it's like a way to bring blood flow and strength, well, for them strength, um, but just bringing blood flow and awareness and, and, um, 
You're changing the way the foot's moving. Yeah. Essentially, you're trying to wake it up. Waking waking up the foot is like a a cool, simple way to explain Mm. it. Um, But just doing pumps and you'll feel over time, if you do 50 of those, you'll feel like, okay, my foot is actually starting to work here and it's getting blood flow there. So the more blood flow you can get into the area, generally the the better the recovery will be. Um, But then over once you, you know, if that's where you need to start, that's great. And then gradually adding load so weight bearing load like i said single leg balance um and then eventually then going into that tensile load where you're moving into dorsi ankle dorsiflexion or even better toe extension i think two really big points when it comes to all rehab we'll probably say this throughout most of these these potties <laughs> one is going towards the thing that's causing you a problem just like you know, you sort of get taught through psychology is very empowering. Like if you know that stretching your big toe causes you pain, but you can sit down on the bed and just active or sorry, passively pull your big mm. toe into extension and it does not hurt. That will help the pain experience. It's sort of teaching you uh, without you realizing a bit of resiliency and a little bit of like, oh, I trust my body again. And I think that is one big guiding principle. And then the second part is, a lot of what happens in rehab and movement at the start has to be very consciously driven. Like we have to become very aware of our foot. We have to be able to pump it. We have to be able to move it. But at some point through your process, it has to become unconscious because you're not going to think about it with walking or running or mm. jumping. It just, it has to happen. And whether you do this by yourself or you do this with a practitioner, I think that's a guiding principle. You should feel like at some point you're doing things automatically because you mostly live automatic. And I think that is an important guiding thought when it comes to that rehab. Yeah. So the focus training and rehab is so that you don't have to constantly be focusing on how you're moving. It should just become like an automatic. It'll be tiring thing. and hard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the general idea is that you start, you meet your feet where they're at. If, if a certain exercise, even like a rehab exercise is irritable, and really flaring you up, then you know that you need to reduce the load somehow because that is still exceeding your capacity at that time. And there's options. There's so it's, many options. Yeah. So getting off your feet, doing just toe pumps or even like Tom said, just manually stretching your foot or ankle, um, You know, getting your fingers in between your toes and um, rotating that around and just getting some really gentle movement in there can be the best place to start. And then eventually building up to building up the load going into weight bearing and then going into more like um, one of the great examples of higher load sort of strength training is where you have a, a bit of an elevation in your toe so that your toe is an extension and then you're doing going up into a calf raise. So that's m- essentially mimicking what you would be doing when walking and running is and then building up to doing that single leg. So you might start you might start without a toe raise and you might start just doing a, a very slow calf raise and then you might get a toe raise as in like lifting up your toe then doing the calf raise and then you could go into a single leg version of that. And then at some point you want to get back you want to be able to jump really. Yeah. Because jumping is going to really teach the plantar fascia to take on load. It's going to teach a big toe tendon to take on load and it's going to really help with the idea of can I form a rigid lever and then can my foot be pliable when I need it to be? Mm-hmm. But again, like sort of, and it's kind of hard, right? Cause you don't want to give too much advice on it. Cause it is, again, it's very personal to you. Like you, you know what, what's going on with your body. And then there are just certain things that you may need to do. It might solely be that you need to improve hip extension to stop, you know, 
your foot taking on more load or you have to get more strength slash power in your quads. It's going to be very different per person. And I think the coolest part of it is there's so many options and you can start at so many places. We just start at the foot because it's often, you know, the easiest entry point for people. But there are options. If something's not working, try something else. Yeah. And yeah. keep trying. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's quite hard to fully explain all the different ways that you could exercise <laughs> to resolve plantar fasciitis. Um, but one, I mean, if you're... If you're really keen just to start something, we do have some beginner YouTube routines, beginner like follow along routines on YouTube for your feet, for your ankles, and even for knees and hips. But it could be a good place to start is just try out some of the routines, especially for the feet and ankles and see how your feet feel. Um, But really for specific conditions, and especially if it's something that you've been struggling with for a long time, then individualized guidance and assessment, assessment and guidance is going to be the key. And Tom and I are both now offering online consultations which is just a really good chance to for us to help you do that problem solving um it's and then we can get into the weeds yeah then you really get to delve in and understand your body not just the the overarching concept yeah because rehab can be done by yourself you can look at all the youtube things you can look at you can get products like a lot of people find a lot of benefit from for plantar fasciitis from getting some of our products and using those and that's great but for like them to make sure you're doing the most bang for your buck things for your body um, and to and also to make sure that you're addressing other potential factors then yeah the individualized guidance is going to be irreplaceable Um, so feel free to reach out if you if you're struggling with plantar fasciitis or any other condition really um we we don't just do feet um, <laughs> but definitely feel free to reach out um and we can organize you know we can point you in the right direction if we think that you could benefit from something um, in particular or we can organize a session and again even if you're someone who would prefer the in-person stuff like there's footnotes around the country and around the world that we can link you in with if you're someone who just doesn't like the idea of the tele rehab slash online stuff yeah so we've got a great growing network some foot nerds and some people who are just we can recommend based on experience and people have a like-minded approach so there's always options there um and yeah like i said there's plenty of stuff you can start doing now but at the end of the day if you really want to solve a condition long term then a little bit of a helping hand at, at mm. first can be can be a um, a massive it'll say it, it, it might save you months or years yeah really yeah and i've experienced that myself <laughs> and haven't we all yes <laughs> yeah it's very tempting to just try and do everything by yourself um but yeah and when it comes to getting back to your beloved activity and making sure that something doesn't get worse and worse then yeah just sort of nipping it in the bud for one of is is a, a good thing <laughs> Right. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. If you've got any questions, feel free to reach out. And otherwise, stay tuned for our next episode, which will be in the coming weeks. And yeah, Yeah. we'll be exploring the topic of bunions, which is another really common one. But thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. All right. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz or on TikTok at thefootcollective. 
If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store, tfc-shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R the number 2, E10, to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.